You guys may be seated. And let's do an O-H-I-O for Eric Fleming. O-H? There we go. Remind us how to spell. Yes, great. Love you. Thank you, Taylor. What is up, Southbrook? Good morning. How are we doing? Fourth of July weekend. Love it. It's a great time. Hopefully we have all our digits intact this morning. Um, excited for what this is. Man, I love Fourth of July. I love all of the, the pomp and circumstance around our freedom and independence. I am very, very much grateful for the country I live in. Thankful for all who have served before, those who serve and are yet to serve. I'm very grateful to be in a family, uh, a long line of men and women who have served. So I appreciate the freedoms I have because of many of you in this room and those who are not. So thank you for that. Um, I am very grateful to be here with you to continue on in our series. My buddy, Levi, last week absolutely killed it. Love having him here. Miss that dude. Miss having fun with him. And so it was really cool to see him up here uh, continuing in our series. And Little Boots crushed it. He crushed it. He did a great job. Absolutely. And I know many of you were blessed by that. And that's, man, that is, that is what this is. That's why I love Southbrook so much, because it is a team. It is a team effort. That every weekend, we have, man, we have Charlie, we have others, and we have this, this incredible band that what we are doing every weekend is bringing us into the presence of God. And, and I just love being a part of what this church is doing, and I'm grateful for the many hands that make it happen both here and in the back and in the parking lot and everywhere. Uh, just super grateful. Um, and so last week, if you didn't know, we, we've started the series about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and Levi was part one of a two-part little kind of mini-series within it. Last week, he did a great job in part one talking about the difference of the letter of the law, which if you remember, we are in the New Covenant Review, where Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about they are ministers of a new covenant, right? We talked about how the old covenant, the one that really reigned supreme in early church history was the Mosaic law, the commandments, the law, uh, the letter of the law, and that it was set down for God's people to follow. And the letter of the law, the law itself, was to show us that we couldn't measure up. We couldn't keep the law. And so because of that, if you remember, when we kicked this off, we talked about the sacrificial system was created to help us come into the presence of God. That because we couldn't keep this law, we, we didn't have the righteousness at all at the level of God, we sacrificed each and every day to help us become more, uh, I guess you could say, more present in God's reality. Like we could not enter in. We were on, not on the same footing. Until Christ came and became the end all, be all of all the sacrifices. He came and fulfilled the mandates of the law. He walked perfectly, lived perfectly, showed us how to live, and willingly gave his life for everyone past, present, and future. That he is the sacrifice that covers all sacrifices, so we don't sacrifice anymore. And that for those in this new covenant, Paul talks about this. For those who say, Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life, I want to follow him. His sacrifice covers us and makes us righteous in sight of God. And so, when we talk about the new covenant, that is what we're talking about. We're talking about this, this deal, this agreement that has been made for those in Jesus, that this new covenant is way better than anything of the old. That the letter of the old, the letter of the law, pointed us to death. And that the covenant, the new covenant in Christ, is all about life. And so today, we're going to continue in this series we're going to continue in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to follow off Levi. Levi did three verses, 1 through 3. I'm going to do verses 4 through 6. And so I want us to read this together. Um, you'll see it here on the screens. I'm using the NASB translation. Many say, what is, man, what is it with all the translations? You have some translations that are more literal to the original language. 
And ASB is one of those. This is one literally in college we had to use to study with. And sometimes we'll use others because, man, like NIV or NLT will make it more colloquial, if you will. And so I love this version because in this version, you're going to see a consistent thread in Paul's letter here. And so this is going to be the focus and the crux of where I'm going to go today. And so I'm going to read this. Read this along with me if you want. Um, chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, Paul says, Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. He is continuing on from verses 1 through 3. If you remember last week, Levi did a great job. He was talking about the people in the Corinthian church, the church that he planted and started, are actually questioning his authority now. He's been away for some time. And during the time of him being away, other teachers have come along and shared a mixed message. And they're starting to question some things. And last week, Levi talked about this. They were literally asking for a letter of recommendation for Paul. That many of the people that would travel, especially those uh, uh, Jewish and, and that practiced the law, the old law, had a recommendation letter that they would carry around with them as they would enter into different temples throughout the country and the world. And it would say, hey, you've been, you've been uh, accredited. You can come in and, and talk and, and share whatever message you have. And so they're asking for a recommendation letter from Paul. And Paul is like, you are my recommendation letter. Are you serious? Like, I shared the message, the gospel message. You gave your life to Christ, and now our numbers are being added to daily. You are the recommendation letter. God has approved this message. Look at this church. It's thriving. And so he continues with that. Such confidence we have through Christ towards God. Because of what Christ has done, we have confidence in what we are doing and what we are going to be doing. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Man, absolutely. Who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. And here's that reminder, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills and the spirit gives life. And so as you read through that and you hear those words, man, What's, what's, what's the word you keep saying repeated over and over? Adequate, adequacy. And as I was putting this down, and again, you guys know me, I am very transparent, I share this a lot, that um, most of this is constantly a feeling of inadequacy. Every time, every time, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians later uh, in, in, this, in this book, Around chapter 12, he talks about how he's got a thorn in his side that he walks with. That he begged the Lord to take it from him three times, and the Lord said, no. My grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, I am made strong. And so, constantly, I am one conflicted who walks with feelings of inadequacy. And we're going to talk with this uh, through this today. Because I know I'm not the only one. And maybe many of you in here either currently or before or will face feelings of inadequacy. I mean, maybe for you, it's like me when I open an Ikea box and it has instructions, and man, I feel inadequate pretty quickly. Right? Or you have to sit down with your kids and you have to do math with them, right? Man, don't ask me to do that. Don't, like, hey, like, math wasn't my thing, let alone common core. I don't know what I'm doing, right? <laughs> right? And constantly we are faced with feelings of inadequacy. And more, maybe more serious than that, um, in our very lives. You've heard me share this before that 
for me, fatherhood, there is nothing more difficult in this life than raising kids. I am so blessed by them. But what, I, what is revealed in raising kids is constantly my shortcomings and my weaknesses. I'm constantly asking myself, have I said enough, taught enough, modeled enough? Encouraged enough, prayed enough. Done enough. And I know I'm not the only one. And constantly, constantly, the enemy uses the feelings of inadequacy to hold us back from experiencing things we could never imagine as we walk into this power of the Spirit. And that's where we're going today. That no matter where you are right now, maybe you're feeling thoughts of inadequacy, maybe at home with your family. Maybe you're facing feelings of inadequacy because of a diagnosis that is just awful. And so many of us in here are walking with pain and hurt. And each day we are thinking, man, I, I, am not, I am not fit to walk this walk that is set before me. And what I love about the faith is we have a book we can open that is full of pages of people who were inadequate and who voiced their inadequacy. And what I'm amazed about is that the, some of them even talked with God audibly and voiced to him as he speaks to them audibly, I can't do this. And so what I want to do today is I, I think I have some uh, uh, reasons that we have these feelings of inadequacy. Maybe some of these will speak to you. But what I really want to do is that each one of these I want to walk through and show you you are not alone. That many of the people of the faith felt the same thing. But when we surrender these feelings of weakness and inadequacy to the God of the universe, we can do things that we could never imagine. And hear me, I'm going to set this up and you've heard me say it. I'm not giving you a prosperity message because I believe God doesn't desire prosperity. I believe God desires faithfulness. Right? So hear me, I'm not saying, hey, Eric is saying, if I, if I walk in the spirit, everything will be handed me. I'm not saying that. We can see scripture. We can see life is messy and grimy. Scripture is grimy. There's pain, there's hurt, and it's still people who walk faithfully in the spirit. Right? And so what I want to do is let's walk through some of these things because I feel like, man, many of us face these, these, these temptations of, of feelings of inadequacy that hold us back from accomplishing what God may be calling us to do. Maybe for you, which is a lot of me, is feelings of inadequacy can be rooted in our past. And maybe for you, your past, you would say maybe it's checkered. It's a little dodgy. We use terms like misspent youth. That was me, big time. And that for us, we, we, we use that and say, man, there's no way God could use me. There's no way Christ would have died for someone like me. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Paul, the, the, the man behind this letter and many of the New Testament letters, you know this. The reminder is this man had very much a B.C. before Christ life and an A.C. after Christ. And before Christ, he was, as he would say, the sinner of sinners, as he would persecute those in the faith. He was raised with everything. And as a student, he was raised as, as a student of the law. He was trained by one of the foremost, if you would say, professors of the law, rabbis of the law. He knew the law, the old law, the Mosaic laws, and all the laws that went with it, front and back. His job was to go from town to town and see who wasn't measuring up. But not only that, who was living essentially blaspheming the, the, the law. He would throw you in prison. 
ultimately leading to your very death. And he got joy out of this. Until he had a miraculous encounter with Jesus on a Damascus road that said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And the trajectory of his life forever changed. And so I talked earlier about the thorn in his side. I wholeheartedly believe that thorn is very much rooted in his past life. Maybe it's a variety of things, but here's the thing. This man is going into town after town, sharing the message of Jesus, and you don't think he is standing face-to-face with with some of the families of people he has taken away because of his previous life. He is going around sharing the message of Jesus, and before Jesus, he was putting people in prison for that same message. And so I absolutely believe he walked with a sense of anxiety, a sense of just tumultuous conflict because of who he was before Christ. I remember my early days when I was at the University of Louisville. Um, I absolutely, I was just sharing this with somebody out in the lobby. Um, My days at the University of Louisville were full of misspent youth. I think we can read uh, through the fine print on that. Everything, just, just throw it out there. And I was sharing with somebody Because, man, Don was literally, we were talking about my early days. And he said, you know, where did you study? Where did you study uh, Bible? Where did college you go to? I said, oh, I went to Cincinnati Bible College. Uh, Charlie went that route. Many others went that route. It was pretty prominent in the early days, in the 90s and early 2000s. And now it's very much not prominent. It is closed. (laughs) COVID took a lot of Bible colleges. Um, But I shared with him um, that during those misspent misspent youth years, I had a mentor in my life at my home church that reeled me in. That during that time, my parents were in Florida. I grew up in the church, but this was like, man, oh man, all these things are at my fingertips. This is incredible and destructive. And he pulled me in and said, hey, won't you jump in and get involved with students with us in high school ministry? And it changed the trajectory of my life of somebody speaking into my life. But I remember... My past being a thing of conflict. I remember uh, being at CBC and and hanging out with friends and all this stuff. And I remember a young lady one time jumped into my car. Uh, We knew her well. Um, I was still trying to flush out my past at UofL. It was some of the things were trying to follow me at CBC. And I was trying to get that out of my life. And I was struggling to do that early on. Because you can find those outlets wherever you go. Don't be confused that if your kid's at a Christian school that these doesn't happen. Don't... Get out of here. Um, Please. You can find it everywhere. Um, And I remember her jumping in my car. And this is what the enemy uses all week, are these words. You should not be going into ministry. (laughs) But it's, hey, How many of us have been at the hands of of something like this, a message like this? You're not good enough. Christ can't use you. What do you do? You shouldn't be doing ministry. You shouldn't be going that route. And I am grateful for it, to be honest with you. I am grateful for it because when I left there, it broke me. It changed me. And not because of some self-righteous, hey, legalistic, like, no, it was because, hey, there, there was truth in this. Not that, hey, I'm not good enough. No one's good enough. But it was, the message was, hey, get, get your crap together. And so there is this message every time when we're working on this, the challenge of putting these things together, that same voice comes in my head. 
I shared a lot. Dear friend this morning, Jillian, pulled me over and randomly was, she had no idea that goes on in my head. Can I pray for you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll take that. And the constant wave of inadequacy, many, besets many of us in here, and many might not deal with this. Many of you may feel fully adequate in whatever you do, and that's a sermon for another day. <laughs> but I tell, I tell people, I said, I am grateful for it, to be honest, the thorn. I am grateful for it. Because before I come out here, I'm on my knees. I'm in a back room hiding. Like, God, I can't do this. And every time the spirit fills in and he takes over and removes me. And then as soon as I'm dumb, it's like I am completely drained. And it's just, it's just the spirit. And, that's, and what I want to do today is if you are walking in here, you're feeling inadequate, you're feeling lost, there is a, there is a mountain before you. There is, a, there is a path that God has put before you. You have no idea how you're going to take a step and move forward. And I want to tell you, if you would surrender your weaknesses, if you would surrender where it's the end of you, but it's the beginning of where the spirit can take you further. And I want to show you many examples of many before us uh, that are in the, in the book of Hebrews, in the hall of fame of faith, it's called, that many of them said, God, I cannot do this. And some of them you'll see and you'll know all too well, Moses, when God is calling him, Moses, I need you to lead my people. I need you to be my mouthpiece to lead my people. Oh, Lord, I have never been eloquent. Neither in the past, I love this, nor since you have spoken to me. So it's like he's saying, in the past, I'm, I've been ineloquent, and even you helping me right now, I still am ineloquent. You're not really helping me, right? I am slow of speech and tongue. God comes back and says, I will give you the words to say. He comes back again and says, God, I can't do this. Give me someone else. And in fact, God says, how about your brother Aaron? But what I, th what I think about this is like, I'm curious. This is many of us. Man, I'm just as guilty. I'll, I'll, I'll use my skill set. I can't speak well. I, I stumble over words. I spit too much, right? I can't remember things, right? Lord, I can't do these things. And you'll see this over and over where the Lord says, it's not you. It's me. Will you faithfully just walk with me? And I will give you the words to say. But Moses doesn't. Aaron is raised up with him, and Aaron becomes a mouthpiece, and God says, okay, because of this, Moses, you, you will say the words to Aaron, and he will speak. And I'm curious, to be honest with me, this is how my mind thinks when I read the words in Scripture and the words that are not said. How many things that Moses potentially missed out on because he wasn't as faithful? I don't know. I'm just curious. Another one, okay, so Moses used his lack of skill as, as a feeling of inadequacy that held him back. Here's another one in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, where you read about these judges that God raised up, much like prophets. These judges would be raised up, and they were supposed to be the mouthpiece of God, holding his people accountable. And one of the judges, his name is Gideon, and God wants to raise him up to deliver his, deliver his people out of bondage. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. And he's saying, am I not sending you? Meaning, here's, here's the thing, I'm the one sending you. Pardon me, my Lord. <laughs> Gideon replied, how can I save Israel? And here he is. He's talking about status. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Here it is. Man, it ain't about you, man. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. So oftentimes, the, the root of our feelings of inadequacy are surrounding around skills or knowledge or status. We don't have, we need to read more. I need to know more. And here's the thing. It's, it's an old quote that is one of my favorites is that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. 
Or in this term, in this context, it is, it is God doesn't call the adequate, he adequates the call. He equips you. He equips you. And again, I'm not talking about, hey, this is prosperity and victories. What I'm saying is when you surrender your weaknesses to God and say, God, I can't, I, I, I'm, I can't do this. I need you to fill me up, right? The new covenant says Jesus died for you. When you give your life to Christ, here's an incredible thing in the new covenant that happens. You are filled with his spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells you, walks with you, helps you grow in discipleship, to grow into the person of Christ, and it can help you accomplish things you could never do on your own. As long as you're willing to say, hey, I, God, I can't, but I need you. It's the whole, I must decrease, you increase in me. The other things of feeling of adequacy is when we tend to focus too much on ourselves and our limitations. We have very real limitations, don't get me wrong. See, if we are truly adequate, we wouldn't need God and we wouldn't need others. Here's the thing. If we were fully adequate in ourselves and we didn't need, we would just do it all our own. We don't need him. But in our inadequacies, it pushes us, if we're doing it right, pushes us to God and it pushes us to others. In our culture, we don't do those things well. We say, oh, it's, I, I have to take this on. I have to do this. I can't call for help or get anybody's insight. Oh, I don't need God in this moment. We, do, we take things on ourselves, and it was never intended to be that way. God has wired us to come to him, to seek him, and also seek the blessing of the church, capital C, others around us. That's why Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians how everyone in the church has a set of gifts, that not everyone has the same gifts. Some may have the same gifts, but Everybody has different gifts, and when we come together and use them, we become this organism that can accomplish so much more as a collective organism than we can by ourselves. And our inadequacies, it's, it, it pushes us to God and to others if we're doing it right. A couple weeks ago, uh, we had Players Box basketball camp, and I love it. We had little kids everywhere. Middle school, elementary, we had middle schoolers on one end of the floor doing their drills, and elementary on the other half of the floor. And I love walking around because, hey, you have elementary kids coming in. Um, it's all new to them. Heck, it's new to all of them, really. I don't care if you've been practicing three to four years. It's all new. We have this, hopefully we're growing in our skills. We don't know it all, right? But some of them do. Some of them do, right? And, but I love watching. I love watching the kids who have been signed up that this might be their first time. I love to see what's the mindset in this kid. Is it truly this growth mindset that I can learn and I can grow and I'm just happy to be here? Or is it like, oh, my parents signed me up. I'll never be able to do this. Right, right? And so I love watching them. And Zach had this drill set up for them, had, had four cones on each side of the lane. One team was under the basket on this side. Another team was over here. And, you know, they, they weave through the cones, dribbling the ball, and they come back, lay it up, and the first team to finish wins. And so I'm watching these kids, competition. The kids love it. And, and I'm watching one in particular. Uh, Eleanor, little Eleanor, I love her style. She's adorable. Drew and Cammie's kiddo. And she's standing there, and I'm watching potentially the fear come across her face. As she's towards the end of the line, I think she was the last one. And I know basketball's kind of new to her. She hasn't been doing it. And I'm watching her. And before this, the drills weren't going well. I think she was a little frustrated. And now it's a competition, and now I feel the weight of the world on my shoulders. Her face is a little red. You can see her kind of looking around, watching. And what I'm amazed by, that's what I love, is kids. I was one of them as well, walking up saying, Eleanor, you got this, you got this, you can do this, you got this. Other kids coming around, you got this, you got this. 
And I remember watching it. I loved it. She receives the ball. She dribbles through the cones, comes back, and nails her layup. And I'm, I'm like going nuts. That's what I do. I'm a cheerleader. I'm going nuts. And, and, and what, it's cool, what it's cool about it is this. Before she received that ball, the feelings of inadequacy came in. Absolutely. Every one of us have been that little girl. Many of us in here right now are that. Are that. That that ball is received and very much many people unfortunately put it down and say, hey, someone else do it. I can't do it. I can't do this. And I just love the mindset that took that ball and she just went through it, finished it. It worked out for her. We shared that in our, in our message that day as we were talking about a growth mindset. Uh, the idea I can grow in anything um, and learn things. And it was just really cool to see. And in that moment, as I'm writing this, I'm like, man, every one of us have been there. That the temptation is to give in to those feelings that hold us back from trying something new, stepping out in faith. Another person that you might not be used to hearing about, we're going to the book of Chronicles, is my man, King Jehoshaphat. She said, yeah, everybody, you said the name, name your next kid Jehoshaphat. I would love it, would love it. Don't see that name very common anymore. The same thing with him. See, King Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, and he was one of few kings who faithfully followed God. You will hear this about Israel's history. Not many kings faithfully followed God. He was one of them. And see, they were faced with an insurmountable odds in front of them. A vast army was bearing down on them. Their small tribe of people. And he was a rightfully concerned. And in fact, 2 Chronicles 20 is his prayer. And I love his words. Listen to these words. You'll see them on the screen. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. Here it is. But our eyes are upon you. Hear the faithfulness in that, right? We don't know what to do. Here's the thing. On paper, we get wiped out, God. We don't have the resources, the manpower to take on this battle. But, man, our eyes are on you. And one of of the most powerful replies, I love this from God. He says this to him. Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For what? The battle is not yours, it's God's. Right now, many of you, listen, I I get so emotional. I don't, like, that's the reason I don't counsel as much because I'm like an empath. I feel and it, and it wears me out, man. Like I feel, I could not know you, sit down with you, hear your story, and I'm done. Like I'm just, I am just out. I'm like, that's why God has raised up counselors who are, who like just get energized, right? Um, and I do. Oh my gosh. There are so many that are walking with so much pain and hurt. A friend of mine, not really a friend, it's an acquaintance. I went to a Christian school, so it was a small group. So we all kind of keep in contact. There's a page on Facebook. Ugh, I hate Facebook, but we're there. Um, and so it's just updates, right? And her son, young son was just diagnosed with lymphoma. And nothing wipes me out quicker than that. Those are the days on my couch. I'm like, God, man, Why? But then I see the post of a faithful mom as he goes through treatment, after treatment, after treatment, after tears, after tears, and I am just blown away. I would never, ever want that to be experienced by anyone, nor would she want that to be experienced by her son. But her page for Reed has blown up 
and the message of Christ is being sent out every waking moment. That is unbelievable. And I sit on my couch and it hurts me, it pains me. I hear families in our church that I don't know who are dealing with real pain and hurt and I get emotional with that. We see a journey that God has laid out before us that none of us would ever want to be, to be placed on. We don't want that for others, but I am amazed and inspired and moved when the step forward in that path is one where we say, hey, this, this army is too vast for me, God. But our eyes are on you. And in that faithfulness, they walk slowly, step by step, as the power of the Spirit within them helps them move one step forward. Because there are going to be many days where you don't want to get out of bed. The Spirit says, let's just take one step. And one step can be all that it needs for that day. See, many of our feelings of inadequacy are rooted in our limitations and the challenges life has set before us. There's a scene that takes place um, in the Old Testament as well where, where God says, hey, it's time for my people to move into the land that was promised to them. It's time for us to exit the wilderness, go across the Jordan River and go into the land of Canaan. This is the land I promised you. And there's this scene where God says, and I know why God does this, because God does stretch. He likes to stretch his people at times. He says, I need you to send 12 spies into the land to get me a sit rep of what's going on. Send the spies in, come back with news of what's going on in the land, tell the people what's going on, and just do that first. Like he doesn't know, he knows what's going on. So he sends them in, 12 of them. And they come back with this message to report to Moses and some of the elders in the group. 11 out of the 12 say, we cannot go into this land. What do you mean we can't go? This is the land that God promised. No, 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 no. There are some big cats that live over there, man. Literally, it's what they say. They are big, they're giants. If we try to take the land, they will wipe us out. We can't go forward. We can't move forward. But this is the land that God promised. No, man, we can't do this. One, one out of the 12 said, we can absolutely do this. We need to proceed forward. And that man was Caleb. You can read about this in Numbers 13. He tells them we should go up and possess the land for we can certainly do it. In fact, it says he hushed the crowd to say that, but they still press. We're not, we can't do this. In fact, because he kept speaking up it even said they wanted to stone him until God spoke up. And God tells them, man, here's, you, essentially, you cats blew it, man. He says this to them. Not a man of this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give to your forefathers except Caleb. He will see it. I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on because he followed the Lord, what? Wholeheartedly. That's what it's about. That's what we're talking about. See, the majority of the crowd said, hey, my feelings of inadequacy and fear are going to keep us from moving to what God has promised us. And Caleb exemplifies this, no, we, we need to move forward because our God is going with us. Too often times we look at life circumstances, we look at our limitations, and we think we got to do this on our own when God is standing there. No, I have filled you with my spirit. And it doesn't guarantee victory, but it can guarantee you can do way more than you can ever imagine on your own. If you would just say, God, I'm going with you. I'm reminded of the words of Lisa Turkhurst. I love these words. She said, Is it not, it's not about my strength, my qualifications, or my talent. 
It is about surrendering to God and allowing his strength to work through my weakness. There's many, many times that we are just flat out worn out. Life is exhausting. The needs around us are plentiful and they're not going away. All you have to do is turn on the news or scroll through social media and see what the world looks like right now. Needs around us. People are hurting. People are broken and they need more and more and more and they're so desperate to hear the message of Christ, whether they know that or not. And a lot of times when we look at the needs around us, maybe just in our own home, I can be this way at times where I'm like, it just seems so much. It seems so much and I'm exhausted and I'm worn out. One of my favorite passages that reveal like, man, here's the heart of Christ is, is in Mark 6 where this is the disciples, they're going hard, man. They're following Jesus. They're doing the ministry that he has laid out before them. They're serving people left and right. And they have come to a place where they are just drained emotionally, physically, and they're now hungry as well. It's like they're begging, can, you, can we please have a break, man? There's so many people, dude. And like the whole ministry, I love the ministry of Jesus and his disciples. It's a ministry where he is constantly stretching them. He is constantly stretching them. But in this time, he's like, okay, let's, let's, let's escape and get away and get some rest so we can rest and, and just have some downtime. You can read this in Mark 6, in verse 31. He says, come with me by ourselves to a quiet place so we can get some rest. So they went to relax and rest, at least they thought. If you remember this story, as they are resting, a crowd swells because they now know where Jesus is. It says a crowd of over 5,000. It's like me sifting through the crowd of Swifties Friday trying to get to a Reds game. And you guys are relentless Swifties. Man, I'm cracking up. I'm like, man, it is unbelievable the influence of her. And literally, I'm, now here goes my ADD. I'm literally talking to my wife. I'm like, why do you think this is? Is it because she's like the only voice of pop, it seems, anymore? Like when I was growing up, there were 50,000 boy bands, and they all had their fans split up, and it was like this, this, this clan war against one another. We're Backstreet. We're in sync. No, four of you are 98 degrees, and they were all like fighting, right? Now there's just Taylor Swift. And so I was just blown away because I'm at the Reds game. I'm out in the concourse. It's like 530. It's hot. I'm just trying to get the, the win. I'm looking down at Paycor Stadium. I'm like, oh, my God. Gosh, man, she doesn't even start for another two hours and 75% of the stadium is full and there's 30,000 on the, just outside the stadium. Man, give her the message of Jesus to share. That'd be amazing. Um, woo. <laughs> Jesus juke. Um, yeah. Anyway, back to it. Um, and so they're resting and this crowd swells. And the 12 disciples are every one of us who are worn out. We're frustrated. We're hangry. Christ sees the crowd swelling and, hit, and it says he has compassion because of their need for the gospel. Can you picture the disciple's face as he gets up and has a change of plans? I do for real. Like, come on. Like, just can we do it tomorrow? Can we just send them away? But again, he wanted to, I absolutely believe he wanted to stretch them much like he wants to stretch us today. See, we will never have everything we need on our own. We will have everything we need and everything we need to meet the needs of those around us when we completely depend on him. And in this moment, that's what they had to do because they were physically, we couldn't do it. The crowd is growing. The crowd is starting to get hungry because Jesus is just speaking and talking and it keeps going. And they are engaged and they're in and they're starting to get hungry. 
and the disciples are frustrated, they're worn out, and their, and their temptation, it says it right there, was to send them away to go home and get food. And Jesus says, nah, nah, we're not doing that. We're going we're gonna to feed them. He tells them, let's feed them. And they're like, could you imagine? What are you talking about, man? Over 5,000. I don't, I don't see concession stands. What do you want me to, how are we going to feed them? Right? How are we going to feed them? And then a little boy steps forward. Oh, man. How, I mean, like, if you are the disciples, this is like one of those, I call them a two-by-four moments in the face where you, that little kid comes up and says, I have some bread and some fish. And then Jesus says, bring it to me. And a miracle happens. He feeds over 5,000 people. It says there was even leftovers. And you had to be the disciples sitting there like, man, we, did, we blew it again. This man, time after time after time, shows us what he's capable of. But we blew it. But I think the key to the story is this. The key to the story is this. That Jesus could have been like his father in the Old Testament and said, hey, let's just rain down bread and fish from the skies. That would be easy and efficient. The people could just pick it up and feed themselves. But he says, no, my 12 worn out, depleted disciples are going to serve every one of them. If you are in here and you are feeling emotionally worn out, completely drained, don't know where you can find an ounce of adequacy. God can still use you. I was a part of a church that I did not agree with how they did this. We had a young lady that sang in the worship crew at a no church. Her husband left her. Man, I was heartbroken. Three kids, he left her, and the leadership of the church said, you can't sing right now. Stupid. Guys, I was an intern. I had no, I remember voicing concern. They're like, you're just, you're young. Okay. Can't serve. You, you've been through an emotional, uh, what was the term? Emotional stress. You need to take time to recharge. And I'm like, but you are taking away from her where she gets her full fill. You're taking away an opportunity to serve Christ in the midst of weakness. Yeah. Oh, Eric, you're young. Okay, cool. Here's the thing. I say this all the time. You've heard me say this as I counsel with students and others say, hey, I know you're, you're in it right now. You're struggling right now. You're struggling to find purpose and identity. We're in a culture that loves to confuse right now. You're confused. You don't know where to go. Here's what I'm going to tell you to do. If you are not searching out God in your everyday life, it's a struggle. You're going to be lost. You have to search him out every day. Go to prayer. Go to scripture. Go to people of like mind. Talk with them. Get guidance. But here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Go serve. Go serve. Go serve. I say it all the time. I say it all the time. You feeling inadequate? Go serve. None of us are adequate. None of us are adequate for what God has laid before us. And that is the point. That he is fully adequate and sufficient. He is asking us, just give, me, give it over to me. Go serve. I'm going to end with this. I remember this stupid illustration my high school pastor did. I say stupid because it made me feel uncomfortable. We were on a senior trip, and this was in the days, I call it the golden era of ministry, student ministry. Every student ministry was massive. I'm not kidding. Ours was, we were a church like Southbrook, 3,000, and our high school ministry was 225. Middle school was 200. And it's not because of something. It was just because it was new. The way youth ministry was being done was new. 
And our senior class would go, they would do this every year, they would go to Florida, hang out down there, it'd be like a conference kind of hangout teaching. And I remember on the beach, Scott Hatfield was my high school guy, he had this he had this maze set up. We couldn't see it. It was part of the illustration where we are blinded. All of us are blinded with, head, with blindfolds. We are taken out onto this beach, and they place your hand on a rope. And you're supposed to find the way off out of this maze. Guys, you're out there forever. Because you know why? This twisted sucker, there was no out of the maze. There was no way off. That was the point. Do you know what the point was? That as you get going, the point was you are to tell, and all our volunteers and our leaders were there with us. You were supposed to tell them, I don't know where to go. Can you help me? That was your way off. But everybody, I am not kidding you. There, there were cats that were out there for hours. Because we don't like to share our inadequacies. I remember we're out on the beach, and, and it's, again, we're in front of this, like, it's a, it's a resort kind of place. Um, and so there's all these other students and people that aren't in our group, and they're literally yelling out, ask for help. <laughs> My high school guy, was he, Scott, was not pleased with that. He was super upset about that. Got very uptight about things. But that was it. I remember, I think I was out there for an hour, hour and a half. And I remember my, 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 my small group leader, Lee Swaggerty, Eric, you all right? I'm like, no, man. I'm like, how do I get out of this thing? I got to figure it out. But I can't. I need help. Boom. I was out. I was like, are you for real? <laughs> Do the whole breakdown debrief after. What do we think about it, everybody? This was dumb. This was stupid. I hate you. <laughs> but it was true. Here's the thing. I, love, I do love this illustration. That is every one of us. That challenges beset us. There is a path laid before us that, hey, I'm, I wouldn't wish on any of us. There's pain, there's heartache, there's broken homes, there's sickness, there's disease. It's, the, it's the, the results of a fallen world we live in. And man, we don't know where to go. And it's really hard because we, we, we don't know where to step. We feel inadequate. And, and God is saying, I am here. My spirit invades you. We can move forward. I just, in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. Just rely on me. Because so oftentimes we, we push away, we isolate in those times. God says, come to me. You want to fill up and become more adequate? That's filling yourself up with the Spirit of God. That is resting in his word. That is seeking his guidance and his promises in scripture. That is sitting in solitude and prayer. That is surrounding yourselves with others that are pushing you to Christ, not to some other outlet. And it's a life full of service. It's the S's that we talk about here. Southbrook, I am, I am of the most who might feel inadequate at all times. I walk with conflict all the time. The only way I can do anything is because of Christ in me. I am, I am not trying to be that pastor. I am just being honest. Most days I am beset with, I cannot do this. The enemy within me is like, Eric, just run away. You have no idea how much that's in my head. Because at the end of the day, when Eric is worn out and drained, I'd rather run to my cave where no one is and just sit there. Much like Elijah did in the Old Testament. God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Let's go. I feel for you. I empathize with you. I know the feelings of inadequacy. But I absolutely believe that our God is capable of much, so much more if we would just say, hey, I'm inadequate, Lord. 
but you are sufficiently adequate. Let's pray. Let's pray. Dear God, I, I thank you that your reserves are endless. I thank you for the journey you've taken me on. Many have said, would you change anything? No, because it's gotten me to here now and a dependence on you that I never thought I needed before. There's so much brokenness and hurt and pain. The journeys in this room, some of them are just, it's like Mount Everest has been put before many of them. But Lord, I know that when we are filled with your spirit, we can move forward in a way that we never thought we could. We can move upward in a way that we thought we never could because of your spirit that indwells us. Today, I pray if there's someone in here that's feeling inadequate that says, man, Christ, there's no way Christ covers me. Yes, he does. I pray that that person would come forward and move forward. Say, I want this. I want to be filled with your spirit. If there's someone that is facing a daunting task, Lord, I pray that the Lord of peace would surround them with a peace that is just unknown to those around them, Lord that you would give them the strength to move forward. I thank you for this community of believers, Lord. I am grateful for them. They have no idea how much their words fill me to move forward. We thank you for this day and this holiday. We pray that we keep our digits the rest of the week, and we have a great week. We love you, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Southbrook.